Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, my name is Hannah, and I am one of the leaders here at CCM Reddish. And I am um, just wondering if any of you have ever seen a total solar eclipse. Hands up if you have seen a solar eclipse. Wow, I thought there'd be more hands. So when I was eight, there was the last solar eclipse that could be seen from the UK. We had to wear these really funky glasses. Anyone remember those? Great. I um, was talking about, to this, about this to Michael and he said, I think I was in Scotland when that happened and I'm sure you can, might be able to cast your mind back. I was watching it with my friend Lizzie Bailey. Uh, and it was, it was an incredible thing because the whole place just went dark. It was the middle of the day in August. Everywhere was dark. And there was a scientific explanation to that that I'm not going to try and explain. Uh, but you can Google it. Um, but I'm going to read a passage now. And it's a situation where in the middle of the day, everywhere goes dark. So if you want to, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. And we're starting at verse 45. Otherwise, yeah. Can follow along on the board. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran out and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split and tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who were died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, oh, please, and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. So we're going to dive into that and I've got three things that we're going to focus on. We're looking at how the centurion was brought from darkness into light. Um, and the three things we're looking at is that this was not a typical crime. This was not a typical crucifixion. And this was not a typical confession. So there are your three headers and we're going to dive into that. So I want you to think, what are some crimes that you would expect someone to be arrested for? Well, I've had a think about this, um, and I'm going to actually ask, Tom, can you come up here? It's not very clear, but Tom, this is pretend, by the way, don't worry, Tom is not actually a murderer, but Tom, you've been accused of murder. Yep. Um, let's see, let's see, Mark, come on up. You are actually accused of being a thief. I know, stealing everything, all the cool trainers. Um, Babs, come on up, please. Um, you are being accused, this might be fitting for you, of being the queen. Okay, 
So if you can just stand there, wonderful. So we've got, we've got a murderer here, we've got a thief here, and we've got someone that's just going around saying, I am the queen. Okay, so which one of these do you think we should send to prison first? Do we think the murderer, the thief, the queen? Hands up for murderer. Mm -hmm. Well, that's unanimous, basically. So basically, sorry, you are out. Get to prison. You take that with you, it's your... Yeah. So Tom, you know, we've sent a murderer to prison. Kind of an obvious thing to be arrested for, isn't it? Out of these two, then, we've got somebody that's saying, I'm the queen, I'm the queen, or somebody who's literally stealing the coolest trainers around. A thief. Who, you know, a thief, they might have robbed people, well, they've robbed people, they might have hurt people in the process of that. Out of these two, are we voting for the thief or the queen? Hands up for thief. Yeah, okay, Mark, you are sent to prison, unfortunately. Um, and actually, unfortunately for you, Babs, in this day, you going around saying you're the queen might not have been a cool idea. So we're going to look at what happened to Jesus in this situation. Thank you for my lovely volunteers. But Jesus was somebody who stood before a governor, Pontius Pilate, and he was accused of not a typical crime. Jesus was not accused of being a murderer. He was not accused of being a thief. Rather, he was accused and crucified for being king of the Jews. Now, we hear um, in, in 1 Peter that Jesus was sinless. He had done nothing wrong. He'd committed no sin, nor were any lies ever found in his mouth. And Pilate, the governor that Jesus was stood on trial before, and his wife, wives are very wise, sometimes, <laughs> saw this. And even after hearing accusations about Jesus and asking him and you know, putting him on trial, they determined this, this man, he's not a criminal. He's not done anything wrong. Um, a little bit earlier in the passage of Matthew 27, it says, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. And Pilate replied, well, what crime has he committed? Well, Jesus was not accused of a typical crime. He didn't cause the darkness of sin. He wasn't a robber. He wasn't a murderer. But still, Jesus was handed over to be crucified. Now, death by crucifixion was for murderers and thieves. And we know that robbers were crucified on the two crosses next to him. But for Jesus, this crucifixion was not because of a crime, but rather because it was the ultimate sacrifice and we hear that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in his crying out, he wasn't crying out because he'd done a crime. He wasn't crying out because he had done something wrong. He was crying out in agony, not just because of the physical sufferings, not just the emotional sufferings of people mocking him around him, but the spiritual suffering, the alienation from God. Jesus was taking on the sins, the crimes of the world, of you, of me, of the whole world. And that's why he was crying out to God. But despite this agonising suffering that Jesus was going through, he trusted that it was God's plan and he saw a purpose in it. It wasn't a typical crime. In fact, it was no crime at all, unless it's a crime to love and to sacrifice. Now, I went to see a play a few weeks ago or a piece of theatre and it was called um, If Prison Walls Could Speak. I know a couple of you have seen it here and it was incredibly powerful. And as I was reading this passage, um, I was reminded of this, of this man called Peter Jessick, I think you say his name. 
Um, and basically, he was arrested, not really for a crime, um, and he was in prison for like over a year and a half. We're just going to watch a quick trailer about that because it's just made me think about this situation. Peter, you have compassion. Compassion needs to suffer with, goes beyond empathy or pity, and rather gets involved. I don't want you missing your flight to give me away any longer than you Whether or not you can see it, God has a doctor's way there. Do you know what water boarding is? Out of the depths, my soul cried out. Never lose that heart of compassion, be Christ. And I wonder, I'm not saying that we should go and be missionaries to a different country and smuggle Bibles and get arrested, unless that's something you feel God is calling you to. If it is, weigh it, pray it. Um, But I wonder, there are situations in our lives where it feels dark. It feels like we'd have to be going into a dark situation, that we might have to be suffering for something that we haven't done. Now, you might know what those situations are. It might be having a difficult conversation. It might be loving people that are really hard to love. But what's your area of darkness that you are called to step into? For this guy, Peter Jessick, he was called to go and proclaim the gospel in countries that didn't want to hear it. We're in a country, a really blessed situation where we're not going to be arrested for preaching about Jesus. We're not going to be arrested for telling somebody about how much Jesus loves them. We just might be shunned a little bit or somebody might make a snide joke It's not as bad, really, is it, as being arrested? So what are the areas that we can step into the darkness of to bring Jesus' light? I'm going to look now at how this was not a typical crucifixion. And to do that, I'm going to look a little bit at the centurion. So I did a little bit of historical research from Google. And um, basically, a centurion was someone who had risen through the risen through the ranks. This guy, he wouldn't have been born into this position. He'd risen through the ranks and he'd been promoted. So he will have started off as a soldier. And he would have now been in charge of about 80 soldiers. Okay. So this centurion would have been at the foot of the cross, which we hear. And he will have been in charge of these soldiers that were sort of overseeing the crucifixion. And their job was to ensure that no one attempted to rescue the person down off the cross before they died. They'd observe, they'd often speed up the process of death, and they would then confirm death. So this guy, the centurion, not a, not a stranger to death, not a stranger to crucifixions. However, this crucifixion was unlike any other he had previously witnessed. It was not a typical crucifixion. This one was quite dramatic and, quite frankly, a bit weird. So from verse 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. It's just a bit mad, that, isn't it? 
There's just some weird things going on there. Curtains ripping, earthquakes happening. Like, it's not, it's not sort of a natural thing that's happening. It is a supernatural thing that is happening. Now, I want to focus in on a little bit about the curtain. You might just think, yeah, curtains tear. Maybe the earthquake happened, the curtain just tore. No, no, no. This curtain was huge, okay? We, we get a description of this curtain, and it basically uh, will have been about... 60 foot high, about 30 feet wide, and a few inches thick, okay, so much thicker than these curtains. Now, it was not torn by human hand. Now, the reason that this curtain was put there is because of human sin, okay, so we're going to look at Hebrews 9, which is in the New Testament, it's a letter from Paul, and it's talking about the description of, of the temple, of why this curtain had had to be put up. It says the first covenant had regulations for worship. So the first covenant is before Jesus came and died for our sins, for the bad stuff we do. Before that, a tabernacle or a temple had to be set up. And in the first room, there was a lampstand and a table with some bread. This was called the holy place. But then there was behind a second curtain, there was a room called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And only the high priest could enter that inner room. And that was only once a year, never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, sins the people had committed. So basically, if anybody wanted to go and pray, speak to God, we couldn't just come at half past nine on a Sunday morning and pray together. We had to go to the high priest, declare their sins. The high priest once a year would go into that inner room, the Holy of Holies, and they would meet with God there. We couldn't, we would have been separated from God because of our sins. And we hear that in Isaiah, it says, your sins have made a separation from you and God. But this curtain tearing from top to bottom was Jesus literally breaking down the the barrier between us and God. Now, Michael, I know because you're my husband, you're really strong. So I'm just going to ask you, get on this stage. We've got a curtain right here. I'd like you to try and tear it. Hopefully it doesn't work. Um, but you've got to tear it from top to bottom. Can you just try and do that for me? <laughs> okay, great effort there. Fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> it's impossible, isn't it? It was, it was not torn by human hands and, you know, 60 foot. That's high. That's much higher than this curtain. So... It tearing was a supernatural thing. It was, it was representing, we've actually got a picture of it that I found from a really nice book that I've got. Sorry, the next one, thanks. It was tearing top to bottom. This was a miracle that was happening. This was signifying that no longer did we have to go once a year to the high priest for him to speak to God. We could have access to God. That separation was closed because Jesus had done the ultimate sacrifice. The holy of holies was no longer needed. God was present all the time. I think sometimes, though, we ourselves as humans can put up our own curtains that can block our relationship with God. It's continued sin, sticking doing things that you know you shouldn't, relationships that aren't godly and aren't right. Might be drinking too much alcohol. Drink your water, guys, it's all right. It might be anger like road rage. Sometimes people get in a car, they're a different person. Is that something that's putting that barrier in with, between you and God? Gossip, 
so easy to just slip into gossip, especially in a workplace or with non-Christian friends. All of these things are things that get in the way between you and God. I've got a quote from a guy called Charles Spurgeon. He's an older theologian. And um, it says... There it is. If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. We need to give up everything for Christ. He needs to be everything for you. So I want you to think, what is keeping you in the dark? What, what do you need to allow Jesus to tear down? What is that curtain that's providing a barrier between your relationship with Jesus? We need to enter into that full presence with him. And sometimes it might be something that isn't like an obvious sin. I think sometimes we talk about, you know, don't watch porn, that's bad. Don't lust, that's bad. Obviously don't murder, that's bad. They're quite obvious sins. But there can be things in our lives that you don't often realise are putting a barrier between you and Jesus, you and God. A few years ago, I realised that I had really shocking, uh, a shocking perception of myself. I would look in the mirror and just be like, ugh. And I was, I was not talking to myself as somebody who is a child of God and my identity was not in things of God. Um, so I decided one day after I was going to lead worship somewhere, I got changed like three times and I was like, that's not the right heart and preparation. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to fast fashion, which meant I was giving up wearing uh, any, any like, fashionable clothes. And I thought, I'm just going to wear black T-shirts and black jeans. And I ended up printing clothed in strength and dignity on it. Now, that for me was me trying to tear down a curtain that was a barrier between me and my relationship with Jesus. Because I was trying to find my identity in other things. And I think often we can do that. We can try and find our identity in how many likes we get on a post, in how, um, how good we are at football, in how, what our wages. All those things can provide a barrier between us and Jesus. So I want you to just be pondering on what are the things that you need to let Jesus strip down, tear down top to bottom in order for you to make Jesus everything. Okay, we're going to think now about how this was not a typical confession. So we've been in this series at Life-Changing Encounters of Jesus We've been looking at people who have really sought Jesus out. They've often recognised that Jesus is someone who has had power. Uh, They've recognised him as the son of God, as the Messiah, and they've sought him out. Whereas this centurion, it's kind of a different story. He, he, He didn't seem to like Jesus very much. Earlier in Matthew, um, it's noted that the Roman soldiers had been tasked with keeping watch over the men on the crosses, which we've just heard about. This was standard procedure. Now, the centurion, therefore, was likely involved in that overseeing and the direct sort of things that were happening to Jesus. So we hear a little bit earlier in Matthew 27 that the soldiers, probably including the centurion, took Jesus. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him. They took the staff and struck him again and again and again. Then they led him away to crucify him. This centurion was likely involved in that mocking, that beating, that tormenting of Jesus. 
This was not a guy that was seeking out Jesus because he knew he would have a life-changing encounter with him. However, after Jesus took his final breath and the centurion saw the events that followed, he exclaimed, surely this man was the son of God. His tone went from mocking and sarcastic to sincere and full of fear. But what was it exactly that caused the centurion to change his view of Jesus? Well, as well as witnessing God's power in the rock splitting, the darkness overcoming the world, the earth shaking, people being raised from the dead. I think this centurion had also witnessed Jesus' constant love and forgiveness throughout this whole encounter that he's had. See, whilst Jesus was being beaten and mocked and hit and struck, he never retaliated. He never lashed out. He never fought back. In the sort of same story that Luke writes about, it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The centurion heard Jesus forgive as they were mocking him, beating him, stripping him of his clothes. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For the centurion, witnessing all of the amazing things going on around, the pretty peculiar situation with all the rocks and everything, he also witnessed Jesus' gentle love and forgiveness. He heard clearly the word of God and said, surely this man was the son of God. Now, we don't hear much about the centurion from this point, but we imagine after witnessing that, his life was probably changed quite dramatically. He had an eyewitness, he was an eyewitness, a first-hand witness of Jesus paying for the sins of the world. He will have not been the same after he'd watched uh, Jesus die on the cross. He first had literally been mocking, beating, scoffing Jesus. And I wonder, actually, in his realisation of who Jesus is, did he feel ashamed? Did he feel afraid and aware of his sin? And I know I can often feel that way about my sin, because although we've already got forgiveness from Jesus, we're still sinners and we still need to constantly come to Jesus and ask for that forgiveness. And um, I was reminded of this verse in a really brilliant hymn song called How Deep the Father's Love. And it says, behold, the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And that just made me, makes me think that we could so easily have been standing at the foot of the cross, mocking Jesus, scoffing him. And I hope the centurion knew that despite his actions, his failure, he could find forgiveness. And in the same way, I hope we know that despite our actions, our failure, Jesus forgives. He bore our sins upon that tree. At one time, we were all like that centurion who was experiencing that 3pm hours of darkness. Before Jesus saved us, we were unable to see the light. But just like the centurion, when the darkness lifted and our eyes were opened, we can see Jesus. We saw Jesus with his arms open, already loving us, willing to forgive, welcoming us into his family, into his kingdom. 
Now, if you don't know this light that I'm talking about, this guy, Jesus, I'm talking about, please come and chat to me afterwards, chat to Luke afterwards. We'd love to talk to you more about that love that Jesus brings. But I want you to think, if you already do know Jesus, who do you know that needs Jesus? Who needs to hear, like the centurion, that Jesus surely is the Son of God? Because much of the world are still living in that darkness, not knowing that Jesus has brought them light. In Romans, Paul writes, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? We're the ones that need to go and preach. I don't mean literally stand at the front of church every week, but just tell people about Jesus. For the centurion, he had that eyewitness account witnessing Jesus dying for the sins of the world. For much of the world now, we need to tell them about Jesus. Christine Kane said, Jesus didn't come to make us safe. He came to make us dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. This centurion's confession was really unexpected. He was previously mocking and beating, but still he said, surely this man was the son of God. And I'm sure somebody has sprung to mind for you that you're thinking, they would never, ever turn to Jesus. I could not imagine that. There's no point me praying for them. There's no point me talking to them about Jesus they won't come to Jesus. But actually, we need to trust that God can change hearts. God can bring his light into the darkest situations. When I was at college, um, I was a little bit of a geek, okay? And I used to wear this t-shirt and it said in massive bold letters, Jesus Christ, my saviour. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I'd just walk around and be like, I was just really cool. And um, my best friend at the time, Emily, was like a staunch atheist. She mocked me endlessly for this t-shirt but still I'd be like do you want to come to this do you want to come to this uh, no no she knew she would not she just mock me um and I you know would wear this t-shirt but I just you know tried to keep praying for her and telling her about Jesus and what had happened and then I she was somebody I thought she will never ever come to Jesus then about three years after I left college I got a message on Facebook saying hey can we go for a walk we went for a walk in Lime Park and she was like I've become a Christian And I was like, are you mocking me? No, no. She had stood on the beach in the Maldives and literally had a realisation. Surely Jesus is the son of God. It just struck her. And and then she said, and I recall to mind everything that you'd said about Jesus. So then she just full of, it was just pretty mind blowing really. And from that, I've just been really challenged that actually God is powerful. I think we put him in this little box, but God is so powerful Who can you commit to pray for every day that doesn't know Jesus yet? Michael's really good at consistently praying for people. He'll set an alarm on his phone at like a certain time to pray for a certain person each day. It's a good thing to do. Do that if you're going to forget. Set that alarm. Write it in your journal. Who are you going to commit to pray for? But more than just pray for that person, who can you invite to things? Like we had this little blues night last night or Motown. It was really fun we were able to invite a few of our friends who don't know Jesus yet. And they came and they saw, wow, you know, church can be fun. What can you invite people to? Can it be an Easter service? Can it just be the the chats with snacks that's happening this Thursday for the women? What can you invite people to? Can you just have subtle conversations about Jesus, about your weekend, about church? Now, that's my challenge for you, my takeaway task. 
to commit to pray for someone each day and have boldness to tell them about Jesus. Because just like this centurion, his confession, not a typical, not an expected confession. My friend Emily, not a typical, not an expected confession. Let's, let's believe that we can hear the testimonies of people who don't know Jesus yet coming to know Jesus, coming to, from darkness into light. 